Hello, y'all, and welcome back to another edition of Requests here at Playmakers Corner. I'm your host, Cody Stopper, for Requests Part 39, and we are going to start in Texas at Tyler High School talking about the quarterback hit list three-star QB, Eli Holt, 6'3", 185-pound QB with an absolute cannon, and just recently, I believe, won a 7-on-7 championship I believe maybe maybe recently maybe it was a year ago but anyways let's start off with Eli's strengths here Eli does have a pretty powerful arm it is all arm power and I'll talk about that a little bit later but you know he does get some good air on his footballs and you know he he's able to push it down the field and you know that's one thing that I do admire is he's a very tenacious player who always keeps his eyes downfield he's very good at tucking and running and I'll elaborate on that but he does keep his eyes downfield and he loves the big play. He loves the home run. And, you know, he's good for one or two, maybe even three a game through the air. Not even talking about, you know, through the through the ground, which, you know, is is arguably his greatest strength is that he is a phenomenal dual threat quarterback. He is so incredibly fast. I've seen him outrun his own receivers on his highlight reel. You know, and they have a couple of yards of a head start, right? Because he usually starts off in shotgun. So, obviously, you know, that's massive for him. And, you know, he, he's just so dynamic at the quarterback position whenever he's given a chance to run. He does, you know, escape the collapsing pocket really well. He's very balanced is one thing that, I, you know, he kind of reminds me of a Steve Young or a Mike Vick in the way that, you know, He's able to turn on a dime and use his arm to keep him up, but also keep his eyes downfield looking for that that big bomb, you know. So absolute shout out to him for, you know, kind of that that mentality, right, of looking for the downfield play, keeping your eyes downfield and look for the pass first and then resorting to the run, which could also be a touchdown threat. You know, he ran for a lot of touchdowns this past year over there at Tyler High School with five and seven games on 300 and about 50 yards of rushing. And, you know, he tacked on another 11 through the air through mainly the deep ball is what it seemed like. But, you know, they also have some quick hitters and he's very good at, you know, being able to catch the ball and get into his throwing motion sooner rather than later. I also think that, you know, his stiff arm when running the football is highly serviceable. And, you know, I think that it's obvious to see that with the way that he's able to keep himself up whenever turning corners or, getting thrown to the ground and bouncing off of defenders. You know, he's able to use his arm to both keep him up and defenders off. So he's also very athletic as far as being able to change direction swiftly and quickly. And yeah, you know, the, those are the strengths that I saw from Eli Holt. And, you know, I think that the analysis from QB hit list comes a lot from his athleticism and just upside as far as, you know, running the read option very well, being able to juke defenders. He's an absolute nightmare. If you get him into a one-on-one -on -one situation as a defender, you're going to lose that pretty often. So, you know, there's a lot to like about Eli Holt, but I do think that there's plenty for him to work on as a quarterback. And it starts with his mechanics. Holy cow, this kid has a lot to do with his mechanics. You know, he's, he's good at engaging his hips when throwing the football, and that's probably the extent of what I like about his throwing motion. His throwing motion has a really long windup. And I'm talking about areas of improvement now. It has a very long windup. It goes all the way down almost 
it goes like to his butt, if not below his butt, you know, and that's just way too low for the ball to be going. And then it loops all the way around. So that takes a very long time. And then when it does get up to his shoulder, he kind of pushes it with his elbow. You know, he pushes the football. It kind of looks like a shot put, you know, a shot put thrower throwing, throwing that heavy ball, you know, except he's a quarterback and he's throwing a football kind of like that is what it comes out to. And part of that is that he doesn't step into his passes. His legs almost have 0% to do with him throwing the football. And that takes away from the maximum arm power. It makes some of his throws very dangerous and makes him susceptible to underthrowing the football. So, you know, those are obviously really huge concerns as far as, you know, wanting to maximize the amount of air that the ball gets, wanting to get more velocity. His throws are lacking a lot of velocity compared to quarterbacks, and it's all in his mechanics. It's not using your legs. It's the way he shot puts the football. Or, you know, he has kind of like a weird diagonal sidearm sometimes. So his release is very inconsistent. And I will also echo the same sentiment about his dropbacks. You know, he has very, you know, la 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 la, take, you know, a couple of shuffle steps and throw the football. You know, he's not, he doesn't take his dropbacks seriously enough. And, you know, that's the beginning of the legs not being engaged enough, you know, which is kind of surprising to me with how quickly he can turn on the jets and use his legs to his advantage and make big plays out of it. But, you know, it, it definitely requires some work and it requires some focus to develop that drop back, develop that, you know, extend what he's able to do and expand what he's able to do, I should say. And it doesn't look like he goes through, as far as a mental IQ thing or a playbook scheme thing, it doesn't look like he looks through all of his passes very often or, you know, he doesn't look through progressions consistently is what I would say when, you know, that ends up, there's one pass that's really dangerous that this receiver luckily catches where, you know, he kind of mosses the defender, but this was thrown in some pretty heavy traffic, you know, two guys were on this receiver and the ball was underthrown. And, you know, it, it's a fortunate that the, it's fortunate that the receiver was able to make a play. Otherwise that would have been a sixth interception in a seven game season. So, you know, his, TD to INT ratio of 11 to 5 doesn't necessarily blow me away. I'm pretty sure that the stats on max preps might be a little wrong. However, that's still a handful of interceptions for seven games. You know, you're almost throwing one a game at that point, And then you luck out a couple of times with some of those other throws. But with all that being said, talking about areas of improvement, talk about strengths. And one strength that I forgot to mention is, you know, for certain throws, he does hang in there in the pocket and he is willing to take a hit to deliver a big throw. You know, so that's that's massive. And, you know, if he was stepping into the throws and maneuvering the pocket to the maximum of his capability and athleticism, then we would see a lot more wow throws more often. Right. And he, he does have a couple of wow throws. And so that's why I think that, you know, heading into this next year, he is class of 22. So he still has his senior season. There's a lot for him to focus on and there's a lot for him to improve on. But I don't think that it's anything that he can't do. I do think that he has a lot of upside. I think that his athleticism alone makes him a definite, you know, must catch college football player. And I think that his outlook highly depends on what he's able to address from his senior season, what he's able to carry over from that seven on seven, you know, championship or, you know, the seven on seven success that he found and 
if he's able to bring that to the field to the maximum of its capabilities, able to run more complex route trees and throw more routes because the routes weren't super diverse in this system. And it depends on, you know, if the OC or the head coach hands him the keys, what is Eli going to do with those? And will he be able to, you know, take this team very far? Will he be able to shatter some school records? Maybe I think that would go a long ways towards improving his recruiting into maybe, you know, a D1 power five kind of guy. And, you know, I don't recall seeing too many offers for Eli. I do think that, you know, I would like to see him fill out his frame a little bit more. He's at that 6'2", 6'3", ish, 185 pound, which is not a bad frame. But, you know, if he's able to get up to 195, then he's a bit more filled out, I'd say, so long as he's comfortable playing at that size. And just get stronger and work on those mechanics, man. I I promise you, if you can practice this it in your basement, in your backyard, at your house, you can rep this consistently. You know, watch some other quarterbacks throwing motions. Watch you know how fast their windup is and watch how they use their legs when they throw and just see how much more power you can get out of that and you know i think eli holt could be really dangerous coming up here in the fall that you know this 21 fall season and you know i think that on the high upside he could be a power five quarterback and i think on the low side you know you might see him go d2 if he still struggles to make decisions consistently and you know, at the bare minimum, if he doesn't address a lot of these mechanics issues here in high school, I would recommend taking a JUCO route and getting some collegiate coaching to fix up those mechanics, take that redshirt year, and then, you know, come out your sophomore year of college ball out and then get that D1 offer that you should have had the whole time from just your raw athleticism, right? So, you know, that's kind of my outlook and predictions for Eli Holt and my recommendations. Obviously, Eli, as well as the rest of the athletes for this episode, are invited onto the show. And coming up next, we will be traveling to Osborne High School in Georgia. Hey, y'all. Welcome back to the Playmakers Corner Podcast, Request Part 39. Just got done talking about Eli Holt, the quarterback out of Tyler High School in Texas. Now we're going to talk about El Hodge Fall, the defensive end slash tackle out of Osborne High School in Georgia. And El Hodge, if I'm saying your name wrong, then, you know, please come onto the show and correct me or just DM us. So apologies for that. But this six foot four, 245 pound monster out of Georgia is a very disciplined player who rarely, if ever, loses sight of the football. And what I mean by that is, you know, he does a great job of engaging the lineman first and getting that head up and looking into the backfield and beelining to wherever he needs to go. And, you know, that makes him a threat on both the inside and the outside. He constantly faces double teams on the outside and sometimes even gets triple teamed on the inside. And part of that is because, you know, six foot four, 245 pounds, he is very mammothly sized compared to the competition that he's facing you know he's he's grown is what i'm trying to say and i don't think that he's done growing but you know obviously the size alone isn't what does it you know i've talked about plenty of players six foot four 250 pounds six six 270 pounds but uh, el hodge here knows how to use his size and what i mean by that is you know he understands that he can look over those linemen and you know he understands that you know he's fine with getting pushed because 
he's going to make sure that this lineman is going to push him into the direction of the play however he needs to because all he does is twist his hips and you know the lineman has no choice but to follow that direction because they're not just going to outpower him on their own accord right and you know that's a testament to his strength where you know he just th that's one reason why he's able to manage double teams so well is he just stays very still he gets one hand on one player and one hand on the other player and as as he needs to accordingly he shifts them and goes and makes plays in the backfield or makes plays at the line of scrimmage and consistently meets the running back he kind of reminds me of ronald ollie whenever he plays on the interior and if you're not familiar with ronald ollie you need to check out one of our early episodes it is episode four in case you haven't listened to it so go back and give that a listen and listen to our juco series that we started off the show with but you know if you watch their games they both manipulate the interior of the line very similarly just by getting a look into the backfield and being able to read the play and find that running back and meet them at the line of scrimmage or get past those linemen and make a play in the backfield i also think one thing about fall that is really different to see out of a defensive lineman is the discipline that he shows when going for a tackle he is not a liability in the read option game he does a great job of being patient and maintaining control of that tackle while deciding whether to go for the quarterback or the running back in any given situation he makes plays on midline read options as well as that regular outside read option so you know he has a lot of versatility across the line and moving in and out of the line from both the end and the tackle position, just being able to read plays and, you know, not even really act like there is a lineman there. I also think, you know, I think that El Hodge's strength overall is definitely in the run game. And this is where I'll start to talk about some areas of improvement because in the past game, he has a lot of hurries, but he doesn't have a lot of sacks. And the reason for that from what I could see on his highlight reel is his so when he does try and use finesse moves they are very slow they're very they kind of move like molasses you know where it gets there but it's not pretty and it's not smooth is what I should say I I do think that his power moves are a lot stronger and just out of the options that he has and I think that it comes down to footwork, really, because, you know, on his spin moves, his feet are like stomp, stomp, stomp. It's kind of like a horse, you know, moving in a circle rather than, you know, a quick whip around or anything like that. The same can be said for his swim moves or, you know, his rip moves. He just doesn't have the footwork or the precision in the footwork to really back up or justify using those moves. So I'd recommend, you know, in the offseason hitting those speed ladders especially those agility ladders as much as possible and getting that footwork up to par before you try and attempt some of these you know next level finesse moves and really being able to effectively use them because while you do make tackles using them they're not man beaters like they should be when you do use them i also think another issue that happens in the passing game is that falls pad level can get a little too high at times making him susceptible to being slowed down just enough to not make the play especially on his double teams in the passing game he does get halted pretty good and 
you know, that's, it's just a shame because he literally misses sacks by maybe half a second at times, maybe a quarter of a second at times. And, you know, those seconds add up and make a difference. And it comes down to being able to push through those blocks and getting correct and better leverage. And, you know, the footwork just being one or two steps faster or those steps happening one or two seconds faster and converting, you know, these 10 to 15 hurries that I see on this only like three minute highlight reel into five to eight to nine to 10 sacks, right? So those are things that I'd focus on in this off season is getting pad level lower, work on footwork, especially, and, you know, keep lifting, you know, work legs, work arms and get stronger to where those power moves, where if those finesse moves aren't quite where you want them to be, flex those power moves and perfect them. Make sure that you bull rush the heck out of some guards and tackles knock them on the ground and then go make the play go through them because i mean you're strong enough to stand them up and not get pushed by them so go ahead and push back don't be just an unmovable object be immovable object go ahead and be an unstoppable force as well oh and by the way one strength that i did forget to mention here at 6-4 he has an incredible wingspan they line him up at tight end one time just because of his vertical and his reach he's able to snag a touchdown pretty easily so he has some semblance of hands but what i really want to talk about on the defensive side of the ball as far as the strength goes is he swats passes plenty and often you know so he he's kind of like a shelby harris on the inside and a jj watt on the outside where he's very good at watching the quarterback's eyes maintaining that eye level and getting that hand up just at the right time and you know, making sure a lot of his DBs and linebackers don't end up having to play coverage because, you know, the ball doesn't get past the line of scrimmage in the first place. And, you know, he, he's also able to, you know, convert some of those, swat some of those into the air and create opportunities for tip drills and whatnot. So that's a huge strength that I forgot to mention. And one of the reasons why I think that you know, El Hodge, while being, I think, a pretty raw prospect, I don't know what his football experience looks like, but while being a raw prospect is an intriguing prospect nonetheless. I believe he got invited out to the Tiki Bowl out in Hawaii. So, you know, he's got national attention on him. And I think that, you know, that's a good thing for him. And I think that, you know, he should be, well, let me put it this way. At his current level, I think that he's probably a D2 or FCS kind of player. Lower FCS at that, you know, your big skies kind of looks. Because, you know, he is kind of slow and he does have a lot of refinement and technique focus to work on. But I don't think he'd be a terrible project player at the D1 level, especially the FCS level where you give him a redshirt year and... You really iron out these things. You get him in the weight room. You get him in these facilities. You get him this collegiate coaching. And then he ends up being a, you know, two to three year starter for you fresh out the gate. Who's, you know, racking up 40 tackles at the defensive lineman position or even 50 tackles. And maybe even a couple of sacks if you're able to address some of these other things and bat down passes and make life easier for your secondary. If you have, you know, not as strong of a secondary class or, you know, you don't have to worry about that as much with the upside of El Hodge here. And, you know, that's that's that I would say, you know, he does have, I believe this next year, I believe he's a class of 22 kiddo who has another year to put on some more weight, put on some more strength and, you know, put in work on that ladder or, you know, those tires, what have you. And just, you know, 
really really get going on those drills and you know think these are things that are very easy to fix and i'm very excited to see where he goes and once again fall you are invited onto the show as well as the rest of the athletes including nasir cook coming up next Good morning, y'all, and welcome back to Request Part 39 with your host, Cody Stoffer on Playmaker's Corner. And we're going to be talking about this six-foot, 175-pound cornerback out of Montgomery Bell Academy in Tennessee, Nasir Cook, who is a commit to Princeton. So I'm going to start with some areas of improvement first for Cook here, who is obviously a highly coveted prospect, and will be joining Jadaris Carr at Princeton. And if you haven't heard the Jadaris Carr episode make sure to check out episode, or should I say requests part 16 featuring Jadaris's breakdown. However, talking about his future Princeton teammate here, I think that Cook does have a, well, I don't think I can see that Cook has a false step on the initial backpedal step. And, you know, it does slow him down. And it seems like it's kind of a product of a happy feet that he has sometimes where he just takes one too many steps, whether that's, you know, switching or rotating his hips or switching directions on where he's going or whether that's from you know that initial back pedal that i'm talking about he just sometimes he adds in too many steps and you know it, it reminds me of a happy feet thing where you know he just gets so antsy to make a play or so antsy to get going in the right direction or antsy before the play like on one particular part of his highlight reel he does take this false step before the snap even happens and you could tell that he's a little off balance and thrown off by this. And he has to reset. And then he takes the false step a second time in one play. And you could just tell, especially then and there, that that reset, whether he's resetting into his stance or, you know, he has to do a reset of some sort before he gets covering his, his man. And so while it wasn't a big deal at the level that he was playing at, it could be a bigger deal at that Division One level, right? So... That is something that I saw pretty fast and do think that he could address either by adjusting his stance to where, you know, that inside foot that he had forward that he was taking the full step on, that could be his back foot. And so then his first step is pushing off of that or pushing off the opposite foot. I'm not really sure, but I think it, it comes down to the stance and just practicing it a whole bunch to resolve a very minuscule technique thing but one that'll make a difference down the road especially with how creative these routes become because another thing is i mean he did face a i want to say a plethora of routes and he did cover some pretty difficult routes but the double moves are only going to get more complicated and more creative at the next level so that is one thing i would warn of and about i can also say that you know there are a couple of times where he does drop some, I would say, catchable interceptions, especially with the level of catching that he shows earlier in his highlight reel. He does drop some really easy interceptions. So I just think that, you know, that could be something where, you know, obviously just work on the hands and work on being more consistent at interceptions. And, you know, that's obviously going to turn into a good thing. And one thing that I'd like to clarify here on the areas of improvement before I state it is that even though I say that it's areas of improvement, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's bad. It just means something that 
it can be improved and it would make him a better football player. And so, you know, I'm using that as a precursor to talk about Nasir's vertical. Now, Nasir has a great vertical. You know, he really climbs the staircase a lot of the time for great swats or even great interceptions at times. However, you can tell that with that vertical, he is a half inch to maybe an inch away from making three more interceptions, I want to say, on his highlight reel. Now, like I said, he already has a good vertical. He already has a solid vertical. He already has an impressive vertical. However, another half inch to an inch on his vertical makes him great. It easily adds one or two more interceptions, seeing the catches that he makes. And, you know, that's accounting for maybe dropping one or two. It increases the amount of pass deflections that he has. And, you know, honestly, I think it strays people away from throwing at him more. And what I'd like to say about that and start to talk about strengths is, you know, there is one team that really tried to throw at him down the right sideline, I want to say four or five times, and this year routinely ran this receiver out of bounds, broke up the play, you know, while being able to rotate his hips and just swatting the ball out of the sky, or literally punches the ball out of the receiver's hands when it lands in that bread basket. So, you know, that's just a few examples of things that Nasir does really well. And, you know, I'm going to just jump head first into this. And, you know, there's more plays like that coming with a bigger vertical. But like I already said, he has a good vertical. It's not a problem that I have. It's just something that, if improved, could make him even more dynamic of a football player. And holy crap, what a problem that would be for opposing coaches in the Ivy League. Because Nasir Cook, Princeton got a steal by getting Nasir Cook. I think that he honestly could have been a power five cornerback. I would have, I think he would have fit in great in the Pac-12, which is super pass heavy because he is a very sticky man cover cornerback. He has great speed for playing bump and run. And, you know, I think that his athleticism allows him to play superb cover three. And, you know, there's a couple of things that go into that. And one of those is, you know, he has a great lateral gallop that does seamlessly turn into a sprint. And, you know, I talked a little bit earlier about how he has happy feet sometimes and that he does have a false step. Footwork is simultaneously a an area of improvement for Nasir, but it also may be his greatest strength in various aspects of his game. His gallops cover a lot of ground. They're really fast. And, you know, they seamlessly turn into, you know, full-on sprints with receivers. And that's also a testament to his hip movement. And, you know, just being able to, you know, he can go stride for stride with any receiver that I saw on his film. And, you know, he does a lot of great things like knowing the field really well and getting the receiver, you know, scooted out of bounds and just playing very strong and very tough football or, you know, timing those jumps and breaking up those passes very well. He does a great job of tiptoeing. Well, okay, let me clarify when I say he does a great job of tiptoeing the line of pass interference, I mean that in the positive way in the sense where, you know, he's just so good at breaking up the pass at the perfect time that inadequate refs or, you know, if a receiver is a real diva and really sells a PI, they might get a call, but it's not pass interference. Nasir is just that sticky. He's that good at timing. He jumps routes very well. He knows exactly when to stick his arm in there and, you know, he consistently breaks up plays that, you know, are, are usually very easy man beaters, like quick outs or 
pitches or stop and goes that none of those work against him because he's just so sticky and is, you know, he's able to push off of his foot really well to generate speed once in play. And, you know, that not only translates super well in the past game where, you know, these double moves just don't work on him because he's so good at pushing off his feet and changing directions really fast in that sense, but it also works very well. Well, I'll say in the screen game where, you know, he'll stop plays at the line of scrimmage or in the backfield when he recognizes them because he's just so good off of pushing off that break foot or that break step. But it also works very well in the run game where he comes downhill very hard. He does a great job of forcing plays inside as a cornerback. He has very good football IQ whenever, you know, playing the run game. There is one play that I saw where he actually diagnoses the play before the snap. I can tell that there's not a cornerback blitz called. However, he rushes straight to the backfield and he makes a tackle in the backfield or at the line of scrimmage of this running back. Just, I think, based off of the film that he watched and the formation that he saw, he breaks straight for this for this running back and just makes a phenomenal play in the backfield. He has great football IQ. And I will say that he is one of the better tacklers that I have seen in my time here at Playmakers Corner. Just fundamentally speaking, he squares up to the ball carrier and, you know, he makes tackles. He forces plays inside and he's just very key about it. He has some pretty solid hits just because he comes downhill very hard. Like I said, that break step is super consistent. He forces runners inside and, you know, he does a great job of squaring up, wrapping up and bringing him to the ground, you know, using his legs to make that tackle, getting the head across onto that ball, getting his hand on the ball and trying to punch the ball out. He he's one of the best defensive back tacklers that I have seen. He's very fundamental. I'm very impressed by that. Princeton has got to be happy that they don't need to teach this guy how to tackle or how to be aggressive because he brings that aggressiveness both in the passing game. Whenever he goes after the ball, he's super tenacious. He's kind of like a Tasmanian devil. You know, he gives me that kind of vibes where he just attacks the ball. He attacks the run. He attacks the pass. He's super aggressive while being very disciplined. And that's exactly what you want in a football player and exactly why I think he was a power five guy. But obviously, you know, Kudos to Nasir for getting into an Ivy League school. Princeton is a very big deal. Congrats on that. And obviously, you know, you take your education very seriously. And I want to continue to encourage that. So continue to do that. Continue to be that same football player that you are. And honestly, you know, a redshirt year, we never speak against it. We never say it's a bad idea to do a redshirt year. But, you know, Nasir is somebody who I think can start for Princeton day one and make an immediate impact. And, you know, I think by the end of the season, if he is able to convert this same level of play that he played in Tennessee to the Ivy League, which I think he can based off of, you know, the size and the speed of the receivers that he was playing against weren't any slouches by any means. You know, it wasn't like he was doing this against Colorado competition. These receivers had good size and speed. They were able to, you know, run very, you know, I'd say well-crafted routes. You know, they were running the excellent whip routes. They were running great double moves. They were really selling those go routes and those comebacks and those hitches. And Nasir was able to keep up slash outpace a lot of these wide receivers. And I wouldn't be surprised if he's able to replicate that, you know, day one against 
you know, some of these Princeton guys and practice and eventually earn that starting cornerback one spot by the end of the season. However, if he ends up getting a red shirt, I don't think it's a big deal, but I do think that Nasir Cook is a potential four-year starter and at the bare minimum, a two-year starter for Princeton here as long as they play their cards right and, you know, he, he gets blessed by, by those football gods for those opportunities. So, you know, Nasir Cook, I have a very positive outlook on Cook here. I'm very excited to see how him and Carr, you know, maybe turn this Ivy League Princeton school into, you know, a consistent conference winner by just both being studs on either side of the ball. And I believe that they also have an a Avery Shunnison, I want to say, at linebackers committed to Princeton. Don't quote me on that, but I'm pretty sure that's the incoming class at Princeton. But that's enough about that. And speaking of Avery Shunnison and Jadaris, we're actually going to travel back to Colorado and talk about a class of 21 running back coming up after the break. We're back here on Request Part 39 at the Playmaker's Corner with Cody Stoffer as your host for this episode. Make sure, if you haven't already, to listen to Request Part 38 from Monday, which was Simon's episode. And just in general, catch up on requests if you haven't, and stay tuned for Friday where we're going to have more interviews for you. And make sure to listen to last Friday's episode, which was a, you know big flag football episode for us including some notable espn stars as well as state champions but talking about this week we have vershawn brooks the 5'8 175 or 170 pound running back out of brighton high school who has committed to luther college which is a d3 school and also fielded some naia offers such as briar cliffs and ottawa so let me talk about why vershawn is going D3 or NAIA and not potentially higher. Obviously, I'm, I'm just going to point out the obvious in the first place, 5'8", 170, 170 pounds. He's a little bit undersized, but, you know, I, I only mention it because it's something that scouts are thinking. It's not something that I like to bring up unless it's glaring or is evident in the way that they play their game. Talking about the actual things that matter on the field, the football, IQ, and whatnot, you know, I do think that there's a difference between making quick cuts and completely changing direction. And Vershawn here has a very hard time entirely changing direction. It's very evident on counterplays, especially, as well as when trying to cut back across the grain on certain plays completely. It's just... A bit slow, It take, he has to chop all the way down before doing it, and it's not a sudden plant your foot in the ground and completely go against the grain. It is something that I think could be addressed through lifting and strength and conditioning and stuff like that. And, you know, it's just something to practice, really sticking that foot in the ground and just pushing off of it laterally. And, you know, it's more of like a complete side gallop or you know it, it's it's a lot stronger than a cut or a quick juke is what i will say and you know it's something that is pretty easy to work on and you can work on just kind of doing like a spring push off left to right back and forth as wide as you can talking about more things that not necessarily i didn't see on the film or that i did see on film but things that i didn't see 
was any pass blocking. I have no idea if Brooks is a liability in the passing game. I saw him rolled out to the slot a few times and a different back in there. So based off of his highlights, it's really easy to make the assumption that he's not the strongest pass blocker. And obviously, you know, that's a situation where he becomes a rotational guy or a one to two down back more than a three down back. And something that supports this theory as far as being a one to two down back is when he was rolled out in the slot. Yes. Did he catch a couple touchdowns? Yes. But he catches like a running back and not like a wide receiver. And what I mean by that is he catches with his body very hard, very abruptly. And ugh, as a wide receiver, it was really hard to watch. And, you know, it just, it requires practice and just work on catching with your hands because if you rely too much on catching up with your body, you're going to have drops, you're going to bobble the ball, it's going to bounce off your chest pads, it's going to lead to interceptions. I'm not kidding. The slope is that slippery and it is that consequential. You cannot be catching with your chest on the college level. You shouldn't be doing it on the high school level. You know, and that's just, I saw it this past year when I was coaching quite a bit. You know where players are just relying too much on catching with their body and not their hands and it leads to drops it leads to interceptions it it's a very slippery slope and it's going to happen on the next level and you will not be able to hold on to it when you get absolutely rocked over the middle of the field and in addition to that he didn't run complex routes it was literally goes and outs so route running is a huge question mark his routes weren't super crisp i didn't see him run any routes out of the backfield he is just overall a complete question mark and or potentially a liability on third down where it's like, well, if Vershawn's in, it it has to be a running play because they wouldn't pass to him. I didn't see him run any screen plays. I didn't see him run any swing routes. You know, there's just so many question marks that I have on him being a third down back. And I think that those are the things that held him back the most in his recruiting process. If I had to take a gander. I also think that, you know, his junior year, he does win the edge, I want to say, a couple of times and, you know, went, go off to the races, but I don't see it very often, if ever, his senior year. I think that, you know, if you're not consistently winning the edge and winning with absolute sprints down the sidelines against Colorado competition, then it's hard to imagine where else you're going to succeed, you know, as far as D talking d1 right so you know and i think that you know that's it's kind of the same problem as the change of direction being slow it's just not very explosive doesn't win the edge with speed very often and you know i don't really see him ever win one-on-one -on -one opportunities and part of that is because one-on-one -on -one opportunities are not created both for him and by him so no, it's not entirely on him that he doesn't end up in one-on-one -on -one opportunities. However, a lot of running backs, you know, the those next-level guys, those Q Jones, those Jadaris Cars, they create their one-on-one -on -one situations and they win them. And then they go into another one-on-one -on -one situation and they win that and they win that. They'll win three one-on-ones in one play and score a 70-yard touchdown. You know, ridiculous stat lines where it's like six carries for four TDs and 160 yards or whatever. That's not going to happen with Vershawn Brooks against Colorado competition. And in turn, that's a statement as to who's going to be recruiting him, right? And yeah, I, I'd say that overall he was 
under-recruited in my opinion due to lack of highlights and lack of size. But let's talk about why he did get a couple of NAIA offers from respectable schools, you know, like Ottawa and Briarcliffs and, you know, did get a commitment to Luther College. He visited a lot of schools and a lot of the small schools showed interest because he is going to consistently get you five to six yards every single carry because, and this is very important, he is very aware of the down and distance when running the football. And he just knows exactly how many yards he needs to get and how to get there. He will cut to the outside if he needs to, because, you know, it's second down and seven. And, you know, he, he wants to try and get a few more yards by bouncing it outside. However, if it's third and two, he runs directly up the gut so hard and so low and so strong that no one's going to stop. He's going to get those two yards. He's a promised two yards when he puts his mind to it. And he just hits whatever holes in front of him as hard as he can. Speaking of that, he does a great job of being patient with his blockers. And I think that this is a level of maturity that you don't see in a lot of running backs, especially ones that do tend to be a little bit quicker and shiftier, such as Vershawn here, who, if I didn't mention, so I talked about his going against the grain change of direction, not as strong, but his quick cuts. He does move like a gazelle sometimes. There, There's one play in particular where you get that behind the play kind of view and it's cut left, cut right, cut left, cut right, cut left. And, you know, it's just it happens really fast. It literally looks like a gazelle galloping. And, you know, it looks very smooth and it looks very relaxed for him to make those quick cuts and, you know, just dominate like that. And, you know, pick up a few yards every once in a while and, you know, not necessarily win that one-on-one, -on -one, but, you know, force an arm tackle where he picks up a couple more yards or, you know, get has to be slowed down for another defender to come help out. But anyways, like I said, he's very good at waiting for his blockers. And, you know, as far as turning upfield and sticking that foot in the dirt, he does a very solid job of that and getting upfield and getting the yards that he needs. He's a very smart football player. He understands situations very well. He's not trying to turn every play into a home run and he knows what he's about. He knows his strengths and he knows that, you know, hey, if I lower my shoulder pads and, you know, I, I get low and play to my size and win that leverage, I'm going to pick up three to four yards after contact basically every time. He's very good at yards after contact and, you know, dragging people for a couple of yards and getting those first downs. He's very impressive in that aspect. I think that, you know, when you're at that D3 or NAI level, you want players that aren't only athletically gifted like Vershawn here, but you want smart football players. You want to be outsmart your opponent. You want to, obviously, you want to beat them with talent, but you want somebody who's going to come in there and, you know, set a precedent as far as, you know, being a culture guy. I think Vershawn can do that and just, you know, let people know, hey, I'm going to get these yards and I'm going to go out there and I'm going to scrap and fight for my brother's. And what are you going to do and inspire and bring up his teammates as well? So I'm very excited to see what Brooks does over there at Luther College. Congratulations on your commitment. And, you know, you are more than welcome onto the show anytime. Same with the rest of the athletes on this show, on this episode, I should say, Request Part 39. But that does it for Request Part 39. Once again, make sure to tune into our weekly episodes on friday this week we have interviews with troy fountain and rod green both are out of state class of 21 linemen including one who is committed to an hbcu so we'll get a little bit of history on that and what that means and a little bit of an explanation for the listeners 
And thank you so much for listening to Request Part 39, and thanks so much for the support. Once again, we have episodes Mondays and Wednesdays are our request episodes. Thank you so much for all the athletes who have been so patient with us. We are working on getting there. Our class of 22 guys, you will be on our list coming in the fall, at least our Colorado kiddos who we will be doing top 20 or top five senior lists for. Thank you for remaining patient with us. And yeah, make sure to follow us on TikTok, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Playmakers Corner. Stay tuned for some more web stuff coming up. You know, we are, Simon and I have been putting a lot of work into one project and we're going to be very excited to show you guys and make requests arguably easier. In addition to that, I just want to add on if you aren't already to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify so that you get notifications when a new episode comes out Monday, Wednesday, or Friday. And please leave us a good review if you don't mind, if you have the time. We appreciate all the support and all the good reviews that we have received. And, you know, we look forward to continuing to grow here. And we're glad to have all of our listeners along for that journey. Also, if you're sending in requests, make sure that you give the athlete's name, what high school they play at, what position they play, and if possible, also send in their film. I have been Cody Stoffer, and peace out. See you on Friday.